Thank you, Caleb. There was one guy that that jump did not work out so well for. Um, this guy. But uh, I'm standing here, so it wasn't too bad. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Psalm 40? Psalm chapter 40, as we continue our uh, sermon series, our summer in the Psalms. And um, if you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 594, I believe, 594. Hear now God's holy and true word from Psalm 40. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them Yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who put to shame, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be Appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation can say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are uh, humbled and uh, amazed at your glory. We are constantly challenged and encouraged and transformed by the amazing news of Jesus Christ's death being for us. And his perfect righteousness being given to us, not because of anything that we have done or could do or will do, but because of what he has done 
and because of your great mercy. So, Lord, we, we are so thankful and we praise you this morning. And as we look in your word, as we look at Psalm 40, we pray that uh, you would work in us right now. We know that your word does not go out and return to, return to you void or empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so we pray to that end this morning. Uh, we pray now that Christ would be uh, seen as even more glorious in our eyes than before. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to cherish him, the cross, the Holy Spirit inside of us, reminding us that we belong to you. We pray that you would comfort those, especially those who are going through a very difficult season. And we pray that you'll use this time to renew us and shape us and make us more like Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for the sake of the nations that he came to redeem. Amen. Amen. Psalm 40 is one of, uh, one of the better known psalms. We sang a song that's based on Psalm 40 just a little bit ago. And uh, it's, uh, it's a favorite psalm for a lot of people. Uh, particularly when we are going through something fairly difficult. John Piper says one of the benefits of reading the psalms is that they present with us the, some of the patterns in life that are, are, have been seen all throughout history. Things that God's people have always gone through. And we see the way that they have gone through such things. We see that we're made of the same stuff that they were made of. And that uh, we struggle with the same stuff that they struggled with. And it also in, in, in looking in the Psalms and in looking in God's word. We see the ways that God's people have made it through different things. What they have believed. What they have done. And one of the patterns in life that recurs in the Psalms and in the scriptures and in my life and in your life is getting ourselves into the pit, at least metaphorically, getting ourselves into some sort of situation where we need to be delivered or perhaps something just comes along and all of a sudden we're facing some sort of affliction. We because we live in a broken world, we're always going to have times in our life where we're going through something hard. Where we enter into what we might call a season of difficulty or a season of affliction you know if we were to go around the room we could probably categorize everybody into one of three uh descriptions or one of three categories there's in this room there's probably a number of people who have recently come through a season of affliction or a a, a difficult time but they're but they're through it and there's joy and there's praising god and it, their life may look and sound a lot like what david is saying in the first few verses here of psalm 40 the second category would be people who are in the thick of it right now. There are surely a number of us who right now, maybe we just entered into a time of difficulty or maybe we've been in that time for a while. But there are surely a number of us who are uh, very desperately wanting God to deliver us. And then there's the, the third category would be people for whom life is kind of going okay right now. You would be the group that's about to enter into a time that is fairly difficult. And I'm not arguing that we should you know, live with fear that the other shoe is going to drop, so to speak. But we shouldn't be naive. We shouldn't assume that there's ever going to be a point in our life where things get easy and stay easy. But that's what we thought would happen when we were kids. Remember that? When we were kids, we used to always look at adults and we'd think, it's going to be so awesome when I'm an adult. Everything is going to be so easy when I'm an adult. 
And then you grow up and you realize life never gets easier. And we walk around going, it was so awesome when I was a kid. Why can't I be a kid again? You have no idea what you have right now, children. That's what we think sometimes. We're just never going to hit a point where everything goes well all the time. We're going to enter into these times that are hard, these seasons of affliction. And uh, that's what Psalm 40 is really about. It's about seeing David having come through one difficult time and how he approaches uh, heading into another. And so we can uh, gain a lot from Psalm 40, uh, no matter what category we are in. And one of the things, you know, the, the, the real issue, the, the, the big thing to take away from this morning, from this passage, is actually very simply said. It's just not simply done. It's easier said than done. Here's our main focus for this morning, that the the most important thing we can do when we're in a difficult season is trust God. And like I said, that is so much easier said than done. But if we can cling to that, if we can, if we can incline our hearts to trust in God through these difficult times, it's amazing what he does. So let, uh, let's look at this in three ways. I want to talk about God-centered praise and then God-centered trust and then God-centered Prayer. Those three things are what we'll be looking at this morning. God-centered praise, God-centered trust, and God-centered prayer. These are the three things we really see out of David here. And so we're going to hopefully learn and, and be strengthened for facing these difficult times. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to move right through. I want you to be seeing uh, what, we're, what we're looking at here right in the Word of God. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and talk about God-centered praise. 1 through 3. What you want to notice is that David praises the Lord here. But he does it in a way where he's attributing uh, his deliverance entirely to God. Okay, take a look. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to hear my cry. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So what's going on here? What we see is that David was struggling with something. He was wrestling with something pretty significant. And one of the things to keep in mind here is, is that it, it wasn't something overnight. This is something David was wrestling with for a while. And literally, if you look at verse 1 in the Hebrew, it says, waiting I waited. And so the emphasis is on this was a while. This took a while. We don't know how long. Maybe it was many days. Maybe it was many months. But David went through something very challenging. Now, another thing is we don't know what it is. He's not specific. He speaks in metaphors when he's explaining it to us. And uh, many people recognize, like Don Carson recognizes, that that's actually a really amazing blessing, that he doesn't tell us what he's going through. Why? Because therefore we can apply it to our situation. Whatever difficulty we're going through, we can look to David's situation, because he didn't get specific, and we can apply it to our hearts uh, we know that the situation, whatever it was, was very difficult based on the imagery that he uses. This word pit. That can also be translated and also is translated as cistern. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's like a well. And uh, this use of the word, the miry bog, it's this mud. It's silty, sticky, gross type of mud at what you would imagine is at the bottom of a well that doesn't have a lot of water in it. Slimy, slippery, nasty. In fact, if you're on our reading plan uh, in not too far along from now you're going to read jeremiah 38 because we're in jeremiah right now and actually there's a scene in in jeremiah where jeremiah falls into something like this or he's lowered into it listen to this jeremiah 38 verse 6 says so they took jeremiah and cast him into the cistern or pit it's the same hebrew word 
of Malachi, uh, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. So you can kind of imagine being at the bottom of a well and it's just this slippery, nasty mud and everything, every time you move, you're just slipping and falling, getting covered in this stuff. So obviously whatever David was going through, he doesn't want us to have any frame of reference of some sort of pretty picture, right? He wants us to know that he was going through something very challenging. And this is why he talks about being lifted out of that. Of course, you would want to be lifted out of that and why he talks about being set upon a rock and having his feet, his steps made secure, I mean, if you were down in the bottom of a muddy, waterless well, every time you try to move, you're just going to slip and fall and make it worse, right? Well, now, he says, God has delivered him, and he's on solid ground. He does, he's not slipping anymore. So it's this powerful picture of God delivering him from something so amazing that he's excited, actually, for people to hear about it because he knows that some people who hear are actually going to put their trust in the Lord. It's almost like he's glad that he went through this because he knows that people will trust the Lord because of it. Here's where things get really practical for you and me, especially if you're in category two, if you're going through something really difficult right now. Uh, Notice that David takes absolutely no credit for getting out of that pit. You take all the verbs in verses one through three, and there's really only two that are attributed to David. You know what they are? Waiting and crying. That's what David did. That's all he did. That's all he'll take credit for. I I waited and I cried out. That's it. What did God do? All the rest of the verbs are are, uh, uh, talking about God. God inclined to hear him. He heard him. God drew him out. God set his feet on a rock. God made his steps secure. God put a new song in his mouth. It's all about God. It's God-centered praise. That's what we see David doing in this moment. Everything he is, is, when he thinks about this situation, he accredits all of the good things, all of the deliverance to God and not to him. All he says of himself is that he was just waiting and crying. Here's why this is so important. If you're like me, when I think back to hard times that I've been through before in the past, I like to think of the ways that I helped. You know, the things that I did. I remember when the going got tough, you know, I tried to be tough or something like that. You try to remember things that you did. And the problem with that is all that does is raise the trust level of yourself and lower the trust level of God. And beloved, when we are in the pit, what we need desperately is to raise our level of trust in God. And get rid of the level of trust in ourselves. And that's exactly what David is doing here. He is acknowledging that the reality is God is the one who truly delivered him. God is the one who got him out of this pit. See, we really struggle with that because what David is doing is acknowledging helplessness. But it's really hard for you and I to acknowledge helplessness because we very often try to get our worth or our value from being able to do stuff. We do not like to admit that we can't do something. Think about uh, how many times have you seen someone uh, try to open a pickle jar and they're unable. And so they hand it to somebody else. They pop that thing right off. What does the first person say? I loosened it. No, you didn't. Sit down. You're weak. Okay. And it's okay. That's the point. Here, David is handing the jar to God. I cannot do this. And so it is this God-centeredness in his praise that is absolutely essential for you and me. Because in affliction, we need to praise God for past deliverances. But we need to do so in a way that strips us of any and all credit or glory and exalts God as the one who did everything. 
Think about Proverbs 16, 9. Uh, it, it says that in the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, which is a reminder that even if we do things when we're struggling, we might do things here or there. But the reality is God is the one who establishes those things and makes them actually happen or actually benefit us. So it all the glory, all the credit, all the centeredness in our praise when we think about hard times in the past and being delivered from them, it's got to be pointed at God for two reasons. One. Because it's true. God is the only one who really delivers us from anything. And number two, because it fosters trust. When we look back and strip ourselves of any credit or glory and give it all to him, that helps boost our trust in him. That's the next thing we see. Look at four through nine. God-centered trust. David commends the benefits of trusting God through a difficult season. Okay, think about this in context, right? He's just talked about coming through a difficult season, a season of affliction. And the very next thing he says now is trust God. How does he say it? Uh, He's going to say this in three ways. One, he says that trusting God leads to happiness. Look at verse four. He said, blessed is the man who's who the Lord who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud. Those who go astray after a lie, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your Thoughts toward us, no one can compare with you. I will, pro- I will proclaim and tell them that yet they are more than can be told. And so really, in 4 and 5, what David is doing is he's, he's making a statement. He's making a basic principle. And then verse 5, he's basically saying there's lots of people that have experienced this principle. But what is the principle? That if you trust God, as you go through a hard season, there will come a time when you are happy. When having gone through that difficult season, trusting God all the way through will produce happiness. Remember from way back when we looked at Psalm 1, blessed means happy. And so David is making a statement here. He's, he's commending trust. He's saying if you're in a hard time, you trust God through that time and then happiness will come. Trusting God through that time as opposed to doing what our hearts usually want to do which is to reach out for something else, Uh, maybe some sort of material thing, maybe an idol, a false religion, who knows. David is saying, no, happiness comes as we continue to trust God through a difficult situation. It's detrimental for us to start trusting in something else, to start thinking, well, let's see, God doesn't seem to be helping me with this. I guess I'll try something else. David wants to steer us clear of that because it never works out for people. The best way we can Trust God or the the thing that we need to remember when we want to trust God through a season of affliction is to know that he's using it for a good purpose. That's ultimately what David is saying. You will be blessed on the other side. You will come out of that affliction blessed. Okay. Uh, Jerry Bridges says this. God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan nor circumstances nor any ill intending persons to afflict us unless he Unless he uses that affliction for our good. And I love this. He says, God never wastes pain. If we can believe that, if we can really believe that we will come out on the other side of this hard time blessed, it makes it easier to trust him. Andrew Murray says something to the effect of, you know, believers can go through very difficult times without receiving the blessing that is intended for them because they fail to trust God during that time. And and so David is, is, is calling us, God really is calling us through his word to trust him as we go through difficult times. Especially since, you know, we have no idea what is really good and what is really bad apart from what God tells us. We don't, like when we're going through a situation, we can't know if it's ultimately good or ultimately bad until afterwards, right? 
And there's this old uh, ancient Chinese story about this young man who inherits this powerful, amazing war horse. And so he gets really, really excited and he's showing everybody. And when he shows his grandfather, his grandfather says, how do you know that's actually such a good thing? And the young man says, well, it's an awesome war horse. That's how I know, grandpa. And so then uh, a week or two later, he actually falls off that horse and breaks his hip and breaks his arm. And he's crying out in pain and he's very frustrated and he's cursing this horse that he received. And his grandfather comes along and he says, how do you know that's such a bad thing? And then just a week or two after that, the army comes through conscripting soldiers. They take every able-bodied young man and they can't take him because his hip is broken. They go off and that entire army is destroyed and killed, every single one of them. The point that that story is making is that you don't know if something is really good or really bad until afterwards. And we have something even better. We can look to God who tells us in his word, his powerful word, that it's going to turn out good. If we're going through something really bad right now, really hard, on the other side, there will be happiness. He will do that for us. And so we want to trust God through those things. Uh, on the other side of the, uh, of, the, of the affliction, there will be some sort of happiness. The second thing David talks about here really is that uh, trust is what God requires. And this is really uh, important for us to remember. It gets right to the heart of the gospel. Look at 6 through 8. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written to me, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. Now, this is actually an interesting um, uh, illustration here. That it, literally, that word, you've given me an open ear. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's literally you have dug out my ears. Uh, the imagery there would be like God had to actually dig through David's earwax and gunk to get some powerful truth into his mind and heart. I don't think he really went to town with a Q-tip. I think it's metaphorical. But the point is, he is. He said, "He says you've dug out my ears." What is the thing that that God has gotten through to David? And that is that our relationship with God is got to be on trust. It's got to be on faith. That we're made right with God, not by anything that we do, but only through faith. Okay. Uh, one author says a right relationship with God is not. Something established through mere ceremony, but is rather the expression of a fully surrendered heart. God does not accept our works. He only accepts faith, which is the gospel. That's the good news. In fact, what's interesting about Psalm 40 is that it's quoted by the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 46 through 8. And he basically quotes it in the middle of making a profound argument that centers everything on Christ and our need to trust Christ and believe the gospel. Uh, if you were looking there, I'll just kind of summarize. In Hebrews 10, first he's talking about how through the law we can't be righteous. We can't earn a righteous standing with God through the law. Then he talks about how uh, there's, no, there's nothing we can do to take away our sin. Verse 4 of Hebrews 10, he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so he exposes that we have these two major issues. We don't have any righteousness with which to stand before God and be accepted. And we do have a ton of sin, which we deserve to be punished for. And so he centers everything. Here's the solution to that. Verse 14, for by a single offering, Jesus has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. And so what he's saying there. He's, he's, he's explaining why the sacrifice of bulls and, and offerings and stuff is, is not what, what God is really after. 
What he's really after is that we would trust him. And it all comes together in verse 22 when he talks about us uh, drawing near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. And that's what David is talking about here, that God got this through to him. That he doesn't just want us to go through the motions. He want, what he really wants from us is trust. What he really wants from us is to have faith in him. That's the ultimate thing because that's what God requires. We don't have righteousness. We do have sin. How can we be made right before God? How can we, how can we be made right with God? Only by grace through faith. Now think about this. If the only way a human being can be made right with God is through faith in Christ, then it actually makes going through something difficult, something where I end up leaning on God, maybe trusting God, it actually makes God allowing us to go through a difficult season an incredible blessing. Because it may either give us faith or it will strengthen our faith as we see that he is there for us. This is what Richard Sibbs is getting at when he says this. He says, Christ chiefly manifests himself in times of affliction because then the soul unites itself most closely by faith to Christ. The soul in time of prosperity scatters its affections and loses itself in the creature. But there is a uniting power in sanctified afflictions by which a believer, as in rain a hen collects her brood, gathers his best affections unto his father and to his God. In other words, when things are going well, our faith tends to weaken. And when God uh, takes us through a difficult season, it actually is designed to strengthen our faith, faith and even assure us that we are indeed right with God because we have faith. If a hard time comes and we run from God, it exposes something pretty hard to swallow. Here's what that shows. If we run from God, what that shows us is that we didn't really trust God. We just wanted something from God. If we don't think we're getting it from God, we go look for it elsewhere. But God puts us in these situations to strengthen our faith, to get us to rely on him, to feel our need. And amazingly enough, that's exactly what we need to be made right with him is we need faith. Uh, Number three, number three, uh, through trust, we experience God's power and his love. Uh, 9 and 10, we could spend a lot of time on this, but David is just talking about he just could not stop telling everybody about God's deliverance. He mentions that twice. His faithfulness, he mentions that twice. He talks about God's salvation, God's steadfast love. He can't help but to tell people about this. And the reason is, is because he's experienced it. It's changed him. So he's excited to tell people about it. We think God is powerful and he's faithful But we don't really know that until we go through times where we actually feel his power. We feel his faithfulness. It's the same as as someone who's never been in a a bad car accident, never been in a car accident where your seatbelt and your airbag deployed. Then in theory, you know that your seatbelt will stop you and your airbag will protect you. In theory, you do. But somebody who's been in a real accident knows how that seatbelt and how that airbag actually saves your life. And they could probably tell you a great story about it. Maybe they have. So that third thing is that that through trust, we actually experience God's power and love. So trust is the means through which we experience all of these wonderful things from God. Trust, trusting God in hard times, that is exactly what we need to do. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and trust him to get us through these times. Trust, what does that mean? 
right? What does it mean to trust God? And that's exactly what David says in verse 8. In verse 8, David says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. So that's the picture. That's what trust actually is. Trust is choosing to do what God tells us to do because he's God and because we trust him. Even when we don't really want to do the things he wants us to do, if we trust him, we work hard to do those things because of his grace. So God-centered praise We want to give God all the credit for times we've got through hard times before. God-centered trust. We really want to keep our trust on God. And lastly, if there's one thing we need uh, when we are in the thick of it, it is is God-centered prayer. And that's what we see, uh, David, in these last few verses here. David prays for future deliverance. Look at this. I'm going to just mark out a few things. And if you're in it right now, Maybe even write these things down and let these uh, guide your prayers as you cry out to God for deliverance from this situation uh, you are in. First, we see David expects and loves, or he, he, David expects love and mercy from God. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. This is surely stemming from what God got through to David when he dug out his ears. That truth that he got through to David, that if David believes, then he is right in God's eyes and, and, and that way he will not restrain his mercy from him. What an amazing reality that, that David could cry out to God saying, I know you won't withhold your love or mercy from me. And so we too, when we are going through a difficult time, we can know, we can expect, we can tell, we can say to God, I know you're not restraining love and mercy from me. Uh, the next thing we see, David exhibits honesty and desperation. Look at this, verse 12. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Think about that. How does somebody who's in great need of help say to the God, the only God that can help him, that he's... Struggling with sin so much he can't even see. But he wants his help. And he expects to get his help. How can that be possible? The honesty and his desperation here are only possible, again, because David knows that our relationship with God is a relationship through faith. It's not according to what we do. If we have faith, then God has has forgiven us. He has declared us righteous and he has mercy on us. That's the only possible way. It's only God uh, or David believes that God is gracious. And so he can be honest about his sin and still expect God to help him. And he also is uh, you know, crying out to him in desperate measure. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. Uh, the next 14 and 15, he asks for protection. Uh, this can get a little tricky because David's definitely asking asking for bad things to happen to people. And we'll maybe revisit that in another sermon. Should we uh, pray that God would have bad things happen to people who are trying to hurt us? And we'll have to come back to that. I'll leave you hanging on that one. But ultimately, David is asking for protection. Finally, David asks for inclusivity and expediency. Look at this, 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. So what David is saying is that anybody, may anybody who cries out to the Lord and waits on the Lord, trust the Lord, may anybody experience what he's experienced where they will end up saying, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. And verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help. 
and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. That's our prayer. That's our prayer in the time where we're facing affliction. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Think about this. Psalm 40 begins with him waiting, ends basically with him waiting. And what's in the middle? A big, fat plate of trust. Couple final thoughts. Couple final thoughts, uh, particularly, especially for uh, any of you who are really fighting against something right, right now, really struggling. Uh, number one, there's no indication in this psalm that David was being punished. And what we have to remember is that, you know, if you're not a believer or if you're an unrepentant believer, if you're living in sin, God probably is using that situation as discipline to get you to trust in him so that you can have a right relationship with him. But if you are a believer who's living and uh, walking with the Lord to the extent that you can, our, our understanding of when, when stuff gets hard, our, our first thought should not be, oh, I messed up, he's punishing me, he's coming after me for something. That should not be our go-to thought. Rather, we should be remembering that God allows things in our lives to happen that are very difficult, but for a purpose. Um, one author says, Afflictions are not to punish, but to purify the believing soul. They are not in wrath, but in mercy. Amidst the distresses and miseries of life, it is a felicity or a happiness to belong to Christ, without whose permission and appointment no evil can befall us. He always sends afflictions for our good. And knows by experience what it is to suffer them. His kind hand will speedily put an end to all the pains we feel when we have derived from them all the good which he intends to do for us by them. Okay, so there's our, our hearts should not go immediately to the thought of God is punishing me. It should go to God is doing something uh, important in me right now. Uh, one of those things we know for sure is that uh, he's making us like Christ. Uh, the most uh, loving thing uh, that God could do for a sinner is not only forgive us and declare us righteous, but, that, but then make us like him. There's nobody in existence that has more joy in their hearts than God Almighty. So for him to make us more like him is an extremely loving thing. And when, when a believer is going through an affliction, we have to understand a major piece, a major purpose is that we are through that affliction being shaped more into the image of Christ. I love what Thomas Watson says. He says, afflictions add to the saints glory. The more the diamond is cut, the more it sparkles. The heavier the saints cross, the heavier their crown will be. So remember, as you face these difficult things, he's making you like Jesus. Third, um, God is with us during our trials. This might be one of the most important. You're not alone. He is with you. There are so many places in Scripture where he promises that he's with us. He will not leave us or forsake us. Look at Isaiah 43. Sometimes we sing these words. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's this promise that God is with us. Why? Because the difficult things we go through are not to punish us. They are to save us. It's part of him graciously and lovingly saving us, making us more like him, fitting us for heaven. 
Robert Murray McShane says this, your afflictions may only prove that you are more immediately under the Father's hand. There is no time that the patient is such an object of tender interest to the surgeon as when he is bleeding under his knife. So you may be sure, if you are suffering from the hand of a reconciled God, that his eye is all the more bent on you. If you are in it right now, he's, he's using this for good. Keep trusting him. He's making you more like Jesus. Keep praising him. He is with you right now. Keep praying to him. And it all, it all centers on the cross. It all goes back to the cross because the only reason that we can know that God uses bad things for good things is the cross itself is the, the worst thing that's ever happened. The murder of the perfect son of God. But through that bad thing, through Christ's afflictions, we are healed. We are forgiven. We are made, declared righteous. Uh, and, and he's making us more like Jesus. And it's only because of the cross that we can be sure God is with us to bless us. Because Jesus has taken away every reason for God to curse us. He's taken it upon himself. So follower of Jesus, and particularly follower who is in a hard time waiting for God to get your feet on the rock. You remember that this is for your good. He's going to show you that someday. He's making you more like Jesus, which is one of the greatest gifts we could ever imagine. And most importantly, he is with you. He is with you. Let's pray. Father, trusting you in Challenging situations is hard, and so we pray for grace. We pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to trust. We pray that we would look forward to the blessing we will have received on the other side of these trials that we face. And we pray that as we, as we tell people about the ways that you have delivered us, they too would put their trust in you and be reconciled to you through faith. Help us to feel that you're with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.